0: Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to Manx Radio's Countryside Podcast with Kiri Kermit and myself, Simon Clark and I was at the Eelvery concert at the Ebenezer Hall in Michael Kiri, an event that you've Yet to witness.
1: Yes, definitely. I think it's one to be marked on the calendar, though. It's uh, a good turnout and some wonderful speakers, I hear.
0: Yeah, there was uh, some great magic by Lexi Watterson, who I spoke to. Also, uh, Jackie Farragher and... uh, Jennifer Cooley-Drasco they did a, a piece together uh, one of the old Manx uh, dialects oh, sort of the charm uh, there was always the, the, the big play as well the charm which was uh, resurrected as well from years gone by um, John Willie Cacken he did some uh, Manx poetry as well and it was just a great Manx night and uh, lots of people that were there it was really
1: a good one you know, really time enjoyable. had by yeah, all
0: it was indeed And also, you were with the Isle of Man bloodhounds.
1: Yes, I caught up with uh, Simon Riggle from the Great Meadow Estate and some of his colleagues um, to see what they've been up to and where it came from and uh, some of their forthcoming events.
0: Yeah, it was sort of
1: popular thing still? Yes, very popular. It seems to be growing this last sort of two or three years with actually having the hounds on the ground when they go off on the hunt. And, uh, oh, they, they look so wonderful in their red jackets and the horns and yeah a lovely lovely parade of horses
0: yeah, and it's not quite uh, the old flat field that they're running over as well is no it? So they're
1: looking for all sorts yeah. of land to go over but uh, yeah some of them have uh, built purpose purpose built fences and it's for all age groups so yeah some of the flat tracks for the younger ones
0: yeah and of course now um with the clear skies i spoke to howard park and uh, from AstroManx on the Manx uh, Astronomical Society about, uh, you know, the relationship between the, the night sky and and the countryside. And it's it's amazing the history that's got with it, of course, you know, with with navigation and the farmers oh, yes. and using it. And, uh, you know, he later in the programme as well, a lot more things that I didn't know about uh, the relationship with the stars. So uh, that's uh, a fascinating piece to listen to. So here's Countryside. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. <laughs> the christmas and new year period is finished but of course the michael heritage society had their annual eel very concert at the ebenezer hall in kirk michael last week and i popped along to speak to some of the people there First of all, Zoe Cannell, who was compare for the night.
2: Absolutely delighted. I thank the people of Kirk Michael and the rangers of Eelvery for inviting me along this evening. It's been a terrific evening. I've really, really enjoyed it. Such a huge variety of acts. And then the conclusion, the charm, the Christopher Shimon excerpt done by four Manx dialect actors was absolutely the creme de la creme.
0: It's great to see so many people who are supporting something that's got all Manx in it. And like you said, the variety is terrific
2: dancing, there's been singing, there's been poetry and little acts and, and playing of a violin and cello, all within a short period of time and it's lovely to have something to celebrate the Manx Christmas Eve, the Eelbury at a time of year when many people are just starting to feel a little bit flat and fed up, to have something to come to where they can laugh and enjoy a bit of Christmas spirit, it's, it's a great occasion
0: What about comparing these things, I mean, you sort of get thrown in at the deep end and then... I don't know if there's much preparation you can do for it.
2: I did do quite a bit of preparation, yes, because I felt that I wanted to do the acts justice. So I, I sort of knew people who might have known somebody. It was a typical Isle of Man thing. You send an email to somebody or you phone somebody and they say, oh, get in touch with this person. And they're able to give you a little bit of the background. Because you know quite a lot being from the Isle of Man, but you don't know everything and all the ins and outs of everything. So you just, you know, you ask around. And I was able to get the information from, from friends and family. So I was really glad about that.
0: I involved in, in a lot of... Manx cultural events?
2: Well coming here tonight has certainly given me the impetus and inspiration to do a lot more I felt proud to be a part of it my main interest is the Manx Music Festival, the Guild and I've been involved on the committee for that for several years now that's obviously a Manx event and I also attend the Braid of Stedford but I know there's an awful lot that does go on on the island keeping our Manx heritage and culture alive and it's so so important and like I say this has given me the impetus and the inspiration to do a lot more and become a lot more involved in the community work.
0: We've also had some uh, Manx readings tonight as well. I'm talking to John Willie Cacken. Went down well? Oh, I think it did. It was my first time doing a bit of reciting. Did a bit of Jew and Noah and I think it went down well. And what got you involved in it? Well, I've performed here before. It's sort of a family t- tradition performing at the Michael Ewell Very that's my great-grandmother and grandmother used to perform here many years ago. Well, so it, it goes back a long way in your no, um, childhood years. then? Yes. But the thing about it is, its 100 people maybe in the hall here, but crammed in, they're having supper now, and they've just come to have a really nice night full of Manx people, haven't they? Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. The whole... And even who people aren't Manx, they've enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. The whole community bands together for the night, and it's always a good evening and great supper too. And how difficult is it to learn the pieces you do? It's quite hard, but you've got to persevere and practice with them. Oh, reading them in the mirror? Aye, nah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well done tonight, anyway. Thank you very much. Oh, Jackie Farragher, congratulations. You and Mrs. Cooley Drasco put on a fantastic show there tonight.
3: Oh, thank you, Simon. Yeah, not
0: too bad for a first attempt. How did you get uh, roped into this? Because uh, not many volunteer.
3: <laughs> uh, no, roped Roped is the uh, is the operative word, because um, I just got a, a, a phone call saying would I do it, and I... I said, if you send us a script and I'll have a look through it. So on the 29th of December, they sent it through and and said, there's no pressure, it's on on the 5th. (laughs) I thought, well... And it's uh, a short notice. It's very, very short notice. And of course, like everybody else over this time of the year, out on New Year's Eve, family round on New Year's Day. So I had a look at it on the 2nd. Myself and Jennifer had a couple of run-throughs and... I don't think it went too bad tonight.
0: You had a good sparring partner though, Jennifer there. She looked at home on the stage as well as yourself your first time.
3: <laughs> well, yes, I think Jennifer was, uh, she definitely had a, had a gate of the part there, didn't she? I was quite impressed with the posh accent and the Manx dialect. I just wanted it to start and finish, but I mean doing it once I'd yeah, maybe do it again.
0: Just nice as well to be in a small hall I like the Siervaniza Hall in Michael, maybe a hundred people a year. And everyone who's performed doesn't need to put on a Manx accent really.
3: Well, say so. It's nice. You lose it now, it doesn't matter. It's places like this is the only places you hear it now. You know, you've gotta to go to the alt Al church halls and village halls and uh, the young farmers' concert still you hear a bit there, but other than that you don't hear it, do you?
0: No, but such a variety tonight as well. We've had magicians and the the dialect in red and the music, the yeah. arps and violins and cellos, haven't we? So there's been a bit of everything and mm. uh, more serious stuff from yourselves.
3: Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. although well, the kids on the start there they were fantastic, weren't they? They're real good little dancers and what have you. I think it's quite verdi tonight, and nobody can go home from here tonight, Simon, saying they haven't had a good time, can they?
0: Nope, not indeed. Well done, anyway.
3: Well, thank you very much, Simon. Thank you.
0: Well, we've had all sorts at the Eelvery. Lexi Watterson, you've been performance and magic
3: i have indeed first time here yeah definitely and what did
0: you think of this i mean it's not the o2 arena but (laughs) something different isn't it
4: oh it's fantastic and everyone here is just so friendly it's really lovely evening
0: but i mean how long have you been doing magic tricks i've
4: been doing it for years i started when i was 14 and i joined the young magicians club on the island and then um, i went away and came back and carried on teaching the younger kids with mike clegg
0: now this must be the most difficult thing in the world trying to keep magic secrets on the island of man <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, sometimes. <laughs>
0: I mean, you'll have been in big places and smaller places like this. I mean, how do they compare you? Fairly close to everyone in this hall.
4: Yeah, sometimes it's a bit more nerve-wracking when everybody's right in front of you and it's uh, more of a close-knit community, but it's really lovely and the, the welcome is just so nice. It's lovely to perform in small venues.
0: And Where else have you been performing over your, your career so far?
4: Oh, all around the island, in, in all the schools and at the various states. And then I performed um, down in London at the Magic Circle. And places like that as well. Yeah, is that
0: quite nerve-wracking or or is it really good for you because you can speak to a lot of other magicians and learn little tricks and tricks?
4: Yeah, no, I, I love being at the magic circle. I don't get down much, but it, it's, it's fantastic to be able to talk to all the other magicians and, and just trading secrets and things. But it is a bit nerve-wracking when you're performing for, for your peers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do many ask you all the time? I know that you're teaching some of the magic tricks to some of the kids at school and stuff, but I mean, are they fairly really good at that age to sort of sworn secrecy type of thing?
4: Yeah, they yeah. are actually. You'd think that um, they'd want to go to school and tell all their friends, but but they don't. They're very good. They um they love knowing things that their friends don't. So so it's good. They're good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you've had a great night tonight then. Yeah.
4: Fantastic. Well yeah. done.
0: They've all enjoyed your act as well.
4: Too. Oh, brilliant! Thank you.
0: <laughs> well, a marvellous night of Manx entertainment it was at the Ebenezer Hall uh, last week. There, I was talking to John Willie Cacken, who was doing some Manx poetry, to Jackie Farragher, who did... uh a uh, piece with uh, Jennifer Cooley-Drasco. Also to Lexi Watterson, who was uh, showing her magician skills on the night, and firstly, Zoe Cannell, who was the compere, uh, which really was a good night. Uh, and you've not been to that one yet, have you?
1: No, I haven't, but I really must go. It sounds such a good night. And yeah. to hear all the Mike's accents and yeah, bring it all to life again.
0: Yeah, and it's great because you see a lot of the same people there every year and then a few different ones each year You know, mm. who come down must hear about it. But, uh, say, maybe 100 people that can fit in there. Wow. Wow. But it's it, uh, it, it, It's one of them really close-knit nights and really enjoyable as well, so well done to them.
1: And did you enjoy it?
0: Uh, yes, it was a good night. Happy enough to be involved with it and well done to Nicola Curfey and Rebecca Trainer who mm-hmm. managed to make me look fairly decent, I think, on the night, and well, Roy well. for organising things. So it was a very good night and well done to everyone involved.
5: Manx Radio's Countryside is
0: brought to you by NFU Mutual. And Kiri... One thing that's, I suppose, been around many years on the estates uh, across, uh, particularly the UK, I suppose, but also in the Isle of Man, is there used to be fox hunting days, but of course now they don't have it, and of course we don't have foxes, but uh, the Isle of Man bloodhounds have been out and about, and they have... A few events during the year, don't they?
1: Yeah, they certainly do. They, they have events from October through to March, and recently we've been seeing them out and about, and especially on Boxing Day. So I went along to Great Meadow Estate to meet the hounds and also some of the people involved with organising it. The
5: history of the drag hunting in the Isle of Man is it's quite disjointed, but it, originally I believe Major Bacon, who li- used to live at Seafield, that's the old Aragon Hotel, had a pack of drag hounds at the turn of the century, around 1870, something like that. And then the meets used to be, always on Boxing Day at the George, control. and then there was a, so a serious gap, I think, during the First World War, Second World War. I do not think there were any hounds here, but I, somebody may find out on Nostalgia or somewhere in the museum. But my parents, when they came back from the war and came back to Great Meadow, started a pack of hounds in 1958, and we brought them over from Ireland, Black and Tans, and they were here at Church Farm. And we set the hunting up for a couple of years before we moved to Newmarket and my mother became Master of Hounds and the hounds went with us. Therefore, the hounds didn't really return to the Isle of Man until my parents started again in 1968, where we brought over some foxhounds from England and we ran the hunting for about four years, mainly the same runs that we have now, always on Boxing Day, and we've got many photographs and, and lots of photographs of that period.
1: So, Samuel Leahy, you have the history of the Isle of Man Bloodhounds uh, from Walter Gilby.
6: Yes, Walter has uh, put together quite a comprehensive history of the, what's what's being called the Isle of Man Bloodhounds drag hunt since 1974 when he became involved, along with Colonel and Mrs Riggle and various other members of the equestrian community at the time. And he's put in a really sort of detailed history of who was a master, who looked after the hounds, who was instrumental in being a linesman during that time. All sorts of backgrounds as to where, where the hounds came from because keeping a pack going does require sort of breeding and management and liaising with other packs across the UK to bring in new bloodlines and everything, as I'm sure is a well-known, yes, <laughs> well-known trade to any <laughs> group of animals. So he, he has put together a very... Uh, detailed history of the hunt talking about as well the the colours that we've worn whippers in traditionally wore the the pale yellow jackets with the pale blue collar on our hunt coats the pale blue color is the color of the what's called when you're awarded your buttons for for being helpful or very involved in the hunt you get your Mm -hmm. hunt buttons which have got the island bloodhounds logo on them the pale blue colour. So, you know, that all started early days as well. So yeah, he, he has put together a fantastic history right up until probably early two thousand and two, two thousand and three. And then we had a period where, unfortunately, there were no hounds. But thankfully, Simon has enabled us to have the hounds again. And it, it is absolutely fantastic, and it's been so well received. So
1: did you miss them, Simon? Is this why you brought them back again in 2002?
5: No, because I, I, I obviously work, I've obviously been working in England. But when I came back for five years, in 2000, 2005, thought about it. But it was, it was too complicated to do. I think as a result of Walter Gilby's initiative with me, we went to see... If we could draft hounds in from England, and we went to several people who have a private pack in the south of England elsewhere, and then with Heather Heather Chalmer, who now is a hunter secretary, started to think of how we could get some hounds because everybody didn't want to draft them, but Lady Hattersley had about forty couple, I think she let us have was it five couple initially, and they came over, and that was already our, our start and then we decided probably by they weren't really. Well, we perhaps weren't, I wasn't experienced, but we weren't that <laughs> experienced to manage these hounds. So Phil Broughton, who is the, I think he's really the head of the whole of the Bloodhound Association in England, who lives in Lincolnshire and has an, a number of hounds, um, very sweetly had both Sammy and I two down there, and, and Heather came too, but Sammy stayed there for how long? About ten days. Yeah. For about ten days. I went down there for just for the day, but he then lent us, or gave us, another two hounds, Holly and Hackthorn. And we then brought them back, and we realized that we had a lot to learn, but we also then decided to breed. And it, the, the year of strangles, where we couldn't hunt because of the, the problem of that virus spreading, we decided to, to, to spend that year developing the, the young pack. So yeah. I think we should bring in Heather here, who, <laughs> and Joan Mitchell, who is our huntsman. Between those two, they have, and the, and the whole team here at Great Meadow, Jess Akomish and also... Chris McPhee, they have brought these hands to a position now where we've got, how old are they?
7: 20 weeks.
5: What are their names, Heather?
7: Acorn, Axel, Alfie and Alberta, and then we have Angel.
5: And the names of the main, of the main hounds?
7: We have Moston, who's a very big character, isn't he? Sammy? Has. Dalton, Hackthorn, Holly. <sighs>
6: And Daphne, but these dogs, though Heather, they they have. There are individual characters, but
1: they are so full of life and the racket they make. They must be an absolute nightmare well, to I handle.
7: Absolutely <laughs> love it, and I really appreciate it that yeah. Simon and Mrs. Rigall have helped us yeah. to bring them over because it's unbelievable. It was such a learning curve. I had no idea how big they were and how intelligent mm-hmm. and all individuals, and we were. It was a learning curve but they are <laughs> hunting now and they are speaking and we have these young puppies coming up and they're getting puppy walked by oh. people and I do get help from away. Other packs are very yeah, good yeah. to give me if I need help with anything.
1: And are they easy to learn you know to pick up very
0: yeah intelligent as well as
7: the good things. They learn commands <laughs> they're they very know. individual, aren't they, so Oh they yes, they? and they know their left and their right. That's their history
5: they um, yeah. their history is to hunt individually. And secondly, I, secondly, what's very important, I think, is that the way that you've, you've managed them with Dewan, we have spent a lot of time, and I believe you have spent a lot of time, Dewan spent a lot of time with David. Oh, yes.
7: We have a runner, David Kane. He got very involved, and well, you have to have your own special scent, and he spent three or four times a week down here, and he's in with them all the time, and they know him, and they know his scent, and he would come down, and we'd do lines. We worked really hard all summer, and it paid off. To because, get the bond yes, between the runner and yeah, the pack. That's oh. it, yeah, mm. and his centre. I would hate it if we were just out somewhere and Dave was somewhere else. Oh, no! They would, just, <laughs> they would just, As soon as they know, that's it, they're off.
5: It well, is marvellous. This, I think this bond between their live boot, but also the greatest bond which we have to thank everybody for, is the farmers. I think, you know, running from Great Meadow here, obviously, but... Running through the south of the island, I think yeah. there are some certain farmers that we we owe a tremendous amount over the years. So we've got Henry Watson out of Scarlet. we've got Willie Christian out of Scarlet, and Murray, Kringle. Murray Kringle tremendous support from the yeah. middle land there. We've got the Gorns, Steve yeah. and Ray Gorn and everybody there. Jeff Comish and then Paul Costain has been tremendous because we've had some very good meets at the Shore Hotel, oh, wow. who have been really supportive. Mm-hmm. And we've run from Paul Costain twice this year. Yes. Yes. and Murray Kringle twice this yes. year. Because yes. of the weather and because of the Strangle Scare again, mm. we've had to be a bit limited. Mm. And the and Taggerts, and and mm. of course. Mm. And then going further north now, Sammy, you've been arranging with Steve Higgins wonderful lines up in...
6: Well, yeah, there's so many farmers, you know, in, in very recent years and, and more distant years, and it sort of all depends on everyone's rotations of land and what they're doing. So. You know, really a massive thank you to absolutely anybody who who has allowed us to go over their land. We totally appreciate It's not actually benefiting the farmers, but it does bring an awful lot of joy to everybody and... You know, it is a one-off thing, and, you know, we're not, we're not sort of there every week. But a lot of the farmers, actually, in the last hunt, there were so many farmers whose land we weren't on opening and closing gates for us and just waving us on. And Actually, at the last it week, it was tremendous. Fantastic. supporters was
5: fantastic. The supporters were following us, weren't they?
6: Absolutely. In absolutely. their cars.
5: I mean, in England, they do that a lot. They never realised they did so much I, over here.
6: I think there's a major fascination we've noticed when we're out, and there's sort of maybe 50 of us on the road we're very conscious of the sort of potential issues between horses and traffic but you know we do try and keep everybody really well organized but there is a real fascination with car drivers who pass us and they see the guys at the front with the the huntsman and the whippers in with the hounds there's a lot more respect for the riding people (laughs) in the whole. but i think you do find a lot of the drivers are stopping and actually taking photos of us and it's it's great from a lot of perspectives, you know, so a massive thank you to everybody, uh, everybody who waits patiently for us to get out of the way One sometimes. of our goals is
5: because to thank the farmers, not only to, in the event of bad weather, to help them with sheep or with yeah. cattle in inclement weather, I think the supporters and the people out last time when there was a really bad snowdrifts etc oh, they thanked us very much but we must thank them I think in the future the the way we're going up north when on the 10th visit yeah no, the 21st
7: of January So that's going to be a
5: is that a new run yes
7: yes it is yeah who's the and Mrs. broad
5: right yes yeah and so that's going to be a great fun up there I think I think it's pretty flat so I don't know how we're going to jump anything yes. no
7: loads of big logs small logs log piles. And I think that
5: this jumping thing, what we're going to try and do with the farmers over the next few years is, on the walls, etc., is, some of them you can't jump because they've got wire on them, but we'll ask if we can put some timber on the top like they do in England, and they still will be able to keep the animals at different levels. Mm -hmm. We want to get the jumping much more organised. In the past, we owe a great um, thanks to our linesman
6: Roy Kameen,
5: who used to put up the jumps, but we decided not to do mobile jumps so much as to really try and have natural jumps yeah
6: and you obviously got a broad spectrum of riders you've got small children <laughs> teenagers you know well, this
5: we need a lot adults.
6: it varies from hunt to hunt I think but recently this season I think it's been at least 50 50 of quite little people yeah. <laughs> and grown-ups and there's no immediate correlation between who's the sort of keen ones to go yeah. over the jumps and who wants to go the flat route but You know, there's massive achievements for everybody. Because riding horses over land that you haven't... Like in a cross-country competition, you'll have walked the course, you know exactly what you're doing. Whereas on the hunt, it's only the people organising it who know. So Mm, nobody in the field knows. But we want to encourage encourage,
5: um, Percy, Stella's son, Percy Hampson, came up to me on the last meet and he said, Simon, were there only three boys out? Me, you and Dewan. And one other.
7: Yes, Stephen Broad. And Stephen yep. Broad.
5: He said, I said, why? He said, because I'm told that it's a sissy sport, and <laughs> no, none of my friends want to be called a sissy. And he's a very, very good rider, and it's a tremendously brave jumper, so I really would encourage lots more Young males. <laughs> and I must be about 500 years older than anybody else. <laughs> no
7: comment.
5: <laughs> I love jumping. so Ooh, you
7: jump every fence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's not only for the confident riders. So beginner riders can come along and take oh, part. Yes.
6: Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's just a fantastic opportunity for people to ride across the country. And, you know, they don't all have to go at the same speed as the people at the front. You know, we have lines, so we organise it in, depends on each hunt, but three or four lines. And we, we have a, a little break at the end of each line where we sort of regroup. We make sure we've got the head count correct. <laughs> Usually people do come off, but you know, we'll stop and we'll wait yeah, and, and, and make sure there's no dramas. We've all got communication ability if there is an issue, but thankfully, people have bounced and bounced straight back on and <laughs> kept carried
5: on. And <laughs> so you could, you know, the, jumping, the jumping, we'll get more organised, but we don't have to jump either, so no. you can, because in fact you and, and the hounds, it's easier for them not to yeah. jump because, we noticed this in England, if the hounds going over a fence lose scent.
6: You have to focus on the hounds as <coughs> well as a whipper in, so you can't, you, yeah, you've got to And we're planning,
5: planning a, a couple of social events, one very important I think for the farmers, we're going to try and have a, when the weather gets better, some sort of get together with all the farmers, maybe a, a barbecue or something like that, mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, out in the countryside, and then we're going to have a, a party, we're not sure where yet, the end of the season for the Hunt Ball, yeah. for the hunt ball and encourage both the young and the, and the old to come and the supporters because I think the support is great and Sammy's been running the Hunt Ball now for how many years?
6: Probably about four or five. Four or five
5: years and does a tremendous job but we're going to try and get that good warning to everybody and, and have some fun and then perhaps have a raffle and stuff mm-hmm. We we need to build our strengths for the future seasons and we've got I think we should say something about the, p- the puppies and who's walking them, hello. Well,
7: the puppies have to be puppy walked by people, never allowed off the leads, just puppy walked and let to grow, taught their commands and manners, cars, lorries, Castletown Square, Douglas Prom, uh, the rivers, the prom they've been to Douglas Prom, yes, they've been everywhere. Oh. They were at the hunt on Boxing Day, only for a little while, mm-hmm. just to go with the people. But most of the time, it's Francesca Charmer and Ellen Charmer that walk them. But Jess Comish does a lot of the walking here and myself. We just... At lunchtime, I'll take one of them down to Castletown Square and the buses, because they have to get used to all the traffic and people and leads, yeah, and the commands, but... So how do you manage when you
1: go into Castletown Square? Obviously, all the hounds are out on foot. How do you manage to keep them together without them just you are know, drifting off, know well,
7: the, one, the ones that we, that when they're older and trained, they will hold with you, with the horses. Yeah. They know the command. They do know, right, you're to stay on hold. Because you can hold them for as long as you want, and they'll all stay with you. you know, when they get the scent, then yeah. they're gone. But they know they'll hold.
6: So our runner doesn't run from where we meet the runner is driven to the first line because he obviously can't run along the road, even though he's probably fit enough to, but because otherwise the hounds would run along the road and we'd have to all run along the road. <laughs> So what, what the runner does is he's driven to the beginning of a line and then goes. So if they are with us at the beginning of a meet, the hounds, they'll happily stay with the, the huntsman and the whippers in until we get to where the scent begins. And
1: is there no stopping them once they
7: get the scent? No. They no, will no. go and... Well, till they we catch hope Dave.
5: Hopefully, what well, no, though?
7: Hopefully, they just yeah, no, good. get to the end of the I line where the runner
5: occasion, is. Occasion, occasionally, yeah. you know, they've lost scent because of the weather. Yeah,
6: mm-hmm. weather and ground conditions have an effect on things. But
5: um. one thing we learned from <laughs> Phil Broughton in England, when I think his wife came over when you were hunting yeah. up the hills in Ulm many moons ago. But I never realised when we're doing the mountain, the mountainous circuit, bloodhounds are not really well bred to go up hills for long, so you must make your lines short, and they get very tired on that level. So they're big animals, aren't they? Not like a foxhound. A foxhound is very springy, very wiry, very fast. These guys can be very fast and direct, but they do tar up the hills, so we do want to do something. up up on the mountains, but we're going to do it it's through the plantations challenge. we have. Well,
1: you've got many uh, events still to come. You know, it's, it runs from October to March. Yeah. and So you've got a few more events coming up?
6: We're trying to go out as often as we can. It sort of depends on land available. It's a lot of organisation for each, mm. each hunt. You know, it can take days' worth of planning over the lines because we never know what land we're getting. I mean, one farmer may let us go several times a season, but what land we can go over will change all the time. So you've got to plan your... Your routes. You can't let the the runner cross his tracks because that would obviously confuse the hounds. So you know, there's there's a lot of planning involved, and it can it can take days to organise each hunt purely on the lines. Yeah. What we've also been trying to do is um, get the nearby pubs involved so that we meet at pubs, and there's a lot of reasons for this. It's traditional for hunting to do that. But also, you know, it's, it's a great community event, really. And also a lot of the pubs benefit because quite a lot of the people who come and watch the meet will then stay for a pub lunch. <laughs> but but they, they've been fabulous.
1: But it just certainly sounds like the group is, is growing and it's obviously gone from strength to strength and everyone getting involved. But I suppose social media is certainly helping put the image out. We've seen some beautiful photographs
6: recently on on the internet and people can come out and watch. Well that's the other thing I mean we've got several members of the Isle of Man Photographic Society come out because they love photographing fabulous scenery, moving targets and willing subjects and whilst a lot of people who ride horses hate having their photograph taken if it's about them they love photographs of them on their horse <laughs> and actually the photographers have captured some outstanding images yeah, of think... all round the island and it's such fun and we have a real laugh with them. them but we, yeah we have we have grown from so before um Simon kindly and you know we're very grateful to to him uh, allowing the hounds to be here we had been operating without hounds for a while and whilst there was support there you know th- the difference with hounds is massive so we probably went from having fields of... We were lucky to have 20 people out. There was one hunt where, literally, as fieldmaster, it was only me because it was raining, there was a dressage competition oh on, no. and no-one wanted to come. And this one was in um, Mount Rule, so fortunately it was close to where I live. And I went round it on my own, so the linesman and Walter Gilby followed. <laughs> and it was just me, and I had a lovely time, but I did all three lines very quickly. But um, so, so it's gone from that to... The last full season we hunted, we regularly had nearly 50 people out every time. I think this season we've been around about the 40 to 50 mark. Yeah. It's a lot of fun for a lot of people and massive smiles on, on faces and yeah. punch the air moments.
5: Absolutely as long, as long as we don't have any more pop viruses, etc, which stop us going out, which is always a problem. That
1: was Heather Charmer, Sammy Leahy and Simon Riggle from the Great Meadow Estate.
0: Didn't try and wriggle out of it then.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, they were very good and they gave me some wonderful information on on how it was set up many years ago and it's grown from strength to strength this last three years and did you see them out on boxing day
0: no i didn't um but i can imagine i've been over the uh, mr Gilby sometimes times past when i've been out with you know, and met them and it's a really colorful event oh, to be beautiful. honest there's no harm in it because no. you know Chasing some poor fella who's a (laughs) decent runner and stuff so you know nobody's getting nobody's getting hurt or anything like that so it's a really good it's a fun day out isn't it
1: for all ages and obviously of all abilities because there's a flat track and also there's a fence track as well and it seems like it's really going forward
0: Mm anything coming up for them in the, in the near future Kiri?
1: Yes, they're back out on uh, Saturday the 14th in Ronag and up north on Saturday the 21st at Smale. Well,
0: with all the festivities over Christmas, one part of it uh, big still in the primary schools is the nativity plays and things like that. And, of course, the story of the stars uh, leading the three wise men and people to Bethlehem. Well, I went along to speak to Howard Parkin and got his views on how the stars... In the sky relate to the countryside.
8: The night sky is as much part of our landscape and the heritage of the island, if you like, as the countryside and the the fields and the hills and the mountains, and everything else. Because when you think about it, the landscape evolved geologically all those thousands and thousands of years ago, and the night sky even longer. So people standing in our fields ten thousand years ago, five thousand years ago, whenever it was Neolithic or whatever, would have seen the same sky we see today. And the sky does change. A lot of people don't really realise that the sky does change quite dramatically throughout the year. Because the earth is going around the sun and the earth is spinning on its axis, the sky changes on a seasonal basis. And we see the stars of winter, the stars of autumn, the stars of spring. Now I know the seasons are very, very important from a farming and from an agriculture point of view. So the farmer, when he's sowing his seed and getting his fields ready, he will be as much attuned to the seasons as us astronomers are. And it's a lovely link when you consider we can go back to ancient Egypt and they look at the star Sirius rising in the night sky. When they saw Sirius rising in the night sky, it meant the Nile would flood. And when the Nile flooded, it brought the water, it brought the the silt and everything that made the the fields grow. So the link of agriculture to landscape, to astronomy, is, is very strong indeed.
0: When you um, listen to people talking about the stars in the sky and things like that, and I I suppose because we're surrounded by water, that was a big part of the navigation world as well. Very
8: much so. I mean, we know the Vikings used the stars to navigate too, north america uh, and we still portray it to this day i mean many is the time i show people the, the stars of the plow and use the two stars at the end of the plow to point to the pole star and tell them that's how you know which way north is and furthermore if you measure the height of the pole star above the horizon that's our latitude really? and then I, I always joke with people that if you can see the pole star from the ben McCree you know he's heading in that direction <laughs> if it's going too far up in the sky or down the sky it's either a very stormy day or the captain's going to cuba or somewhere <laughs> What about
0: a terrible scenario? Because obviously, this the shooting stars that we see in the sky, mm-hmm. and and stars and planets die. And
8: what would happen if one of the stars of the plow or something important went? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because obviously, straight away, all the stars we see in the sky are thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away. They're what we call light years. Okay? Yeah. A light year, of course, the distance light travels in one year. One hundred eighty-six thousand miles a second multiply that by a year you've got a huge huge number so if any star visible in our sky did something untoward went supernova which is the likelihood of a, a star in our sky that's a phenomenon we know about it would have no effect whatsoever on life on earth because they are so infinitely far away the only star that would have any influence on us if it have something happened to it would be the sun yeah and we know the sun we think has a lifespan of about 20 billion years And it's roughly middle age. It's about 10 billion years old. So we've nothing major to worry about with our own sun and any other stars, I say, is not going to cause us a problem.
0: What about the Isle of Man from a perspective of looking at the skies? Is it a good place to be?
8: Oh, fantastic. I mean, the dark sky stuff that I developed a few years ago now with DED and uh, with my work at Manx National Heritage before I retired. I don't think we really truly appreciated how good our skies are on the Isle of Man. I learnt my astronomy in Liverpool when I was growing up and all I could ever see were the faint stars because the, the streetlights were oppressive. All you can see through the, the streetlights of Liverpool or any major city, and it's even worse now, are the very bright stars. Great to help identify what you're looking at, but you come to the Isle of Man and look at the skies. They are stunningly clear because we've got no light pollution and as well as having no light pollution we've also got we're an island we're surrounded by sea so if you stand on any beach anywhere in the isle of man on a winter's night or indeed any night when it's dark and you look out to sea it doesn't matter what's behind you in the way of lights you will see out to sea and you'll see the stunning vista of the night sky including of course the aurora borealis the northern lights which people have seen quite often from the isle of man so we're blessed with great skies we're blessed with beautiful countryside it's something I don't think we appreciate enough and it's nice to get the opportunity to talk to it. I mean the landscape, as to start go back to the first question, the landscape is vital and important to us and we we, we flourish and we grow and we do things with it but the night sky gives us this sense of well-being, it gives us our sense of belonging. It is unique to us, the space the sky we see is unique to our latitude and the time of year depends on what you can actually see from that particular location so it makes the Isle of Man a special place for stargazing.
0: Is January a good
8: time of year? One of the best times of the year. Forget the cloudiness, we get cloudy skies everywhere in the world, unless you go and live in the middle of the Atacama Desert, in which case, fair enough, you, that's why they put observatories there, big, massive, professional observatories there. But the cold, dark, crispy, frosty nights of winter are absolutely stunning people often say to me it's amazing how many dog walkers bring me up or speak to me and say how wonderful the sky is because they'll go for a walk and they see the sky and they just can't understand what they're looking at and I try to tell people it's like anything you do you can spend hours trying to take a photograph or something and you get a great photo yes but sometimes just go outside let your eyes get attuned to the dark and you'll be amazed at how much you can see it's incredible.
0: It is, and it's like walking in the countryside, isn't it? I suppose the same scenario. Yeah. You see a photograph of some of the views from the hills and glens of the Isle yeah. of Man. When you're actually standing there on a clear day, looking... Oh, absolutely.
8: You can't portray anything on a photo if you can't see with the naked eye. I often use... It's, it's a different analogy to use, but I, I often... I used to follow sports a lot more than up I do now. But if you go to a football stadium or a Wimbledon or a horse racing event or whatever, a concert... That first view of the stage or the pitch or the screen or whatever you're looking at, you get that wow moment. That's what we get in the night sky. You can watch them on TV, you can see the artist or the the sporting occasion on a close-up on TV. You can see every line of their forehead. But nothing beats seeing it live for yourself. And it's the same with the landscape and it's exactly the same with the the starscape.
0: You talk about these big observatories around these places of the world. We've got a big observatory, haven't we?
8: We have a reasonable-sized observatory. Yeah. One of the biggest uh, amateur observatories in the British Isles, actually. Oh, yes, it is. there. Uh, we were delighted, the Astronomical Society, the Almanac Astronomical Society, uh, of which I was chairman up till a few years ago. Now Dave is doing a great job for that society. We had the British Astronomical Association came over here And they were blown away with our observatory, they thought it was fantastic, they thought they'd said to us it's one of the best amateur observatories they've seen in the British Isles, and I don't think we truly understood and appreciated how good we had, what a facility we had. What we did when we built the place is we didn't just have the telescope there and the dome and everything else, we put a big club room underneath as well, uh, which we actually had to extend now because uh, the subject was becoming so popular. And uh, we have a great time up there, and sometimes we get stunningly clear skies, but if it's not a stunning clear night it's cloudy or something well we'll get a talk by somebody and um, it's just great to meet fellow astronomers and fellow people who've got an interest in the subject and they come from all walks of life that's the other great level of an astronomer doesn't matter what you do in your job in your day job the astronomy cuts across all the social divisions all the divisions in society and it's just something we share with each other this wonderful night sky
0: can the observatory can you if there's not much, many clouds and the, if there's not many stars out and what have you can you Adjust the telescope see what's going on on the Muller-Galloway
8: or um, Sellafield? Or probably not, I'm afraid. We can't do that. We can't get it down low enough to see the horizon. We can do but it's very difficult to do so. And the other thing, which, again, people don't really appreciate when you're using an astronomical telescope, it inverts the vision. Everything we see through an astronomical telescope is upside down. That's because to make the image the correct way up, you'd have to pass it through another layer of lenses or a prism or whatever. Which would use, distort it. Which mm. distorted that more. The more you pass the light through a a medium, glasses in this case, the more distortion you get. So we take away as much as possible so all we're seeing is as much of the pristine image of the star, the planet, the galaxy, what we're looking at through the telescope. So unless you want to stand in your head you're not going to see too much from it other than uh, the stars and the planets of course.
0: And what about if you want to get involved more in astronomy and things like that?
8: Well there are two avenues I'd suggest. The first one I suggest to everybody when I go around talking about astronomy all over the world I always tell people who've ...obviously developed an interest, you know, perhaps I've hopefully inspired them when I've spoken to them... ...and they say, I would love to go home and do some astronomy, what do I do? The first place I suggest anyone goes to is to see if there's a local society. We've got a local society, the Isle of Man Astronomical Society, iomastronomy.org is our website... And if you want to have a look at that, if you want to come along to one of our monthly meetings, we meet at 8 o'clock on the first Thursday of every month. And we more than welcome people along. You have to pay a small fee, £3, I think it is, if you want to just come along as a guest to see what we do. That's one avenue, of course. The other one is I've been teaching at the Isle of Man College now for about 32 years. Since Halley's Comet came in the sky in eighty-five, I started teaching astronomy there. And I'm still doing it. You'd think I'd get it right by now. And I do that every September, October time for usually just for 12 weeks. It's an introduction to the subject, and lots of people go on to be members of the society, and vice versa. And it's just an opportunity to talk to people, get them inspired with the subject. It's become a very popular subject, astronomy. In the last five or six years in particular, we had the year of astronomy in 2009, and since then there just seemed to be a huge lift in the level of public interest in a subject which is often described as the second oldest profession in the world. I'll let you work out the first.
0: Howard Parkin there from AstroManx and, of course, the Isle of Man Astronomical Society. And uh, and don't forget, you can hear more of Howard on Manx Radio's late show with Andy Wint, uh, the last Thursday of every month from ten to ten thirty.
5: Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual.
0: There we are. That was this week's Countryside. We had the. Uh, people from the Eel very concert, so we've got another year to wait for that one. And uh, also Howard Parkin, um, they're talking about the relationship with the with the stars and the moon and the planets uh, with the countryside, and that was fascinating, Kerry, wasn't it? You know, you don't well, realise it's... how much they relied on, on the stars and things, isn't it?
1: Well, that's it, but even now they say that some of the sheep will only lamb on the full moon or they'll start lambing on the full moon. Yeah. I don't know the full story of it, but uh, apparently the older farmers would time it by that.
0: Yeah, and how often is the full moon out at Osdale Farm?
1: Oh, well, you certainly know about it. They don't sleep very often in our house on a full moon.
0: <laughs> and also the bloodhounds, of course, are uh, there. You know, after a bit of support and people who, who want to come and you know, get involved in it because uh, it seems a very colourful sort of carnival event, really. Well,
1: this it? is it. Mm. And also they have, like I said, the hounds on the ground running, but they've also got puppies. So they're obviously hoping to continue these events and they've had such great uh, support from the local farmers to have them across the land. And it seems we all working hand in hand.
0: Ah, you need that for once. A bit of cohesion. This eh? is it. So that's all for this week's Countryside. We'll be back the next week with more. So for me, Simon Clark,
1: And me, Kerry Kermud. And we'll
0: see you then. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the
2: fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month.